travel all over doing this job. I went down to Houston, Texas. After one of the shows, we were at a club. The bartender found out I was Canadian. This is what he said to me. He said, y'all from Canada? We had a Canadian guy here last week. He left his jacket. Would you take it back to him? <laughs> I was this close to explaining to Captain Geography that we have 30 million people in our country. Then I realized the jacket would fit. I said, oh, that's Chad's. I play hockey with him. I know whose jacket that is. Wouldn't we all love to tell jokes for a living and make people laugh? Well, ask a professional comedian and they'll tell you. That 10-second joke, they had to craft it, practice it, and deliver it about a hundred times just to get a laugh. Today on Stories and Strategies, great presentation skills. For many, they are the only impediment to becoming the leader they want to be. And professional comedians know the routine. My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Lars Callio, professional comedian. Hi, Lars. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. And you're joining us today just up the highway from me in Edmonton. How are things in Alberta's capital today? I, uh, they seem well. It looks like a nice day, and uh, and we were outdoors for uh, the past five months, so <laughs> getting a little colder, but that's all right. Absolutely. If you're ever in Edmonton, that river valley, it is uh, just about unparalleled worldwide. Lars, you've given performances in 25 countries around the world at the Just for Laughs Festival in Quebec. You've done five military tours as a comedian in Kuwait, Iraq, Turkey, Kyrgyzstan. I apologize if I'm not saying that right. And last December, you performed at Alert in Nunavut, Canada. So technically, you've performed at the North Pole, right? Yeah, it was. You know, that was on my bucket list for the past 10 years. So Canadian Forces Station Alert is the northernmost manned outpost on the planet. And I got to go up there in December. So we ended up spending, I think we were there for 12 or 13 days. So it was, it was really special. Awesome. You're also the founder of the Okanagan Comedy Tour in Western Canada, as well as the Fire Pit Comedy Tour, which I definitely want to touch on at the end of this episode, if that's okay with you. Sure. So when I contacted you and I said by email, hey, I think we could do a podcast episode comparing corporate presentations to stand-up comedy routines. You actually understood exactly what, what, what I was getting at there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are so similar. There's so many things that, you know, we've all been to presentations. Most people have seen live performance. If not a comedy show, at least they've seen music or acting. And it's a performance, you know, whether you're a storyteller you know, a thousand years ago around a campfire or a stand-up comedian or trying to hold court in front of a bunch of people for, uh, you know, for something corporate. It's it's kind of, the, it's the same animal. And there's a, there's a few pieces to this that we should cover here. Structuring your presentation and your segues between your chapters. Body language is a pretty big thing. Message delivery, how to adjust for the audience, reading the audience as you go, timing. Uh, for you, heckler management, I guess in corporate presentations, that might be, you know, the critic who wants your role or wants to make you look weak. Um, and one of the biggest parts is getting off to a good start and even fitting in your main message or your call to action right from the beginning, right? Yeah. You know, we all, the first impressions are so important anytime anybody is speaking in front of us. So we've made our decision based on what they're wearing. We've made our decision based on their opening line. We've made our decision almost instantaneously 
you know, I've asked the question how, you know, of people, how much time do you give a comedian before you decide whether or not, you know, you're, they're good. And almost across the board, it was by the end of the first joke. So by the end of the first joke, you as an audience member, or, you know, if you're listening to a band play by the end of the first song, you're thinking either these guys are great or these guys, you know, uh, guys and girls might not be. And so, so when it comes to the structure, I think that it's, you know, if to make something look conversational, be it with stand-up comedy or any kind of presentation, it takes that preparation. So when you come out at the start of it, you have to know how you're going to start. You really want to know how you're going to open. And I think that that's one of the things because a strong opening, if you flub a line later or you miss a slide or you, or you have something that's a mistake later on, you've instilled trust in them early on. So basically get them to trust you and then you can take them wherever you want to go. And, and that, you know, being prepared. And then, you know, as we, as we present, whether you're a stand-up comedian or, you know, a speaker or, you know, trying to get, get some point across the, the idea that your body language, if we see ourselves on video, that's one of the most important things is to watch a video of yourself. And it's hard. I mean, I don't know how many people enjoy watching themselves on video or listening to themselves on tape, it can be a little bit, little bit painful, but you will find yourself um, fiddling with a pen or fiddling with paper or looking down or, so you're not making the connection on the level that you need to. And so, so the idea of body language, you know, you don't have to have a strut, you know, you don't, you don't have to have bravado, but, but they have to, it has to feel like you're commanding the room and, and you're really kind of in charge of everything. So that's body language is important. And until you see yourself on tape, you don't realize how you are coming across or how you are looking, you know? And so that, that body language is incredibly important because it ties into that whole first impression. It ties into that whole, they, they want, they want you to succeed. I haven't been to too many comedy shows or presentations where the audience is rooting against you. Do, do you actually memorize the exact pieces that you want to say, or do you have zones and chapters and I guess bits um, that you kind of just feel your way through? And, and how do you do that and read the audience at the same time? Are you actually in listening mode as you're delivering? That's a great question. That is a fantastic question. I believe that the best comedians are almost jazzy. There's some jazz to it, which is to say that there's some freedom to play within. You could be playing the exact same song every time, but there's some freedom with the, with the beats and with the, with the rests and with the, you're playing with it. So if you're playing with a band, maybe the drummer's a little faster than you're used to, or a little slower than you're used to and being able to adjust on the fly with that. So there was this, this great book and I'm not sure if this was this was one of the things that you were talking about but there's this book called Free Play and I was told to read it by this amazing comedian named David Crow he lives in in Washington state and David Crow is one of the best comedians in the world and when I was one year into comedy he said you need to read this book Free Play and I've recommended it to every comedian since and it, one of the things it talks about is that there aren't any frets on a violin or a fiddle and when it presented that in the book, it wasn't until that moment that I realized, wow, there isn't. So somebody who's playing a high level violin, a master level violin, a symphony level violin, they're actually, there is some familiarity with where to put your fingers, 
but they actually have to do it by ear and instinct. So when they're playing everything and possibly perfectly, it's by feel every time. And so your question of, do I prepare the words exactly the same? No, because I think that that takes some of the naturalness out of it. I've seen a comedian who recites, and probably any presenter, they recite it verbatim exactly the same way every time, and it'll lose some of the conversational natural rhythm. You know, I want it to, I want it to look conversational and also like I just thought of it. You mentioned um, that people are cheering for you for the most part in your audience. Not all of them. Um, hecklers are something you've had to deal with in your career. Uh, you're not alone, I'm sure. Um, in corporate life, that would be the critic. And it's not as obvious. It's not necessarily someone who's calling out, boo, you stink, kiss. They're trying to undermine your presentation and therefore your credibility and ability to attach to the audience. In your case, maybe for kicks. In somebody else's case, maybe because it's about them climbing the corporate ladder. How do you deal with it? Well, you know, as we, you know, as we get older, we, I realize that the characters repeat, whether it's in a comedy audience or, you know, during some corporate presentation or whatever, you know, if you're running for office, the, the characters do repeat. So there are those people who, who have their question prepared where they're going to try and trip you up. They're already, I've got this difficult question, so I'm going to ask this hard question and they're not going to be able to answer it. And, you know, in comedy, the hecklers are, there's like five or six types and they're just, they just repeat. And so it's drunk guy who wants to prove to his group of friends that he's funny. <laughs> drunk, drunk guy who wants to prove that to his girlfriend that he's funnier than you. And then you'll have, uh, you know, a dismissive female heckler who just is too cool to be there, you know, or, um, you know, uh, middle-aged housewife who doesn't like something you say and wants to turn it into a conversation. They want to turn it into, so it becomes very much, they want to argue with you about something you just said. And so, and then there's a, a positive heckler, which is often most difficult to deal with at the end of every joke. Yes. Yes. I agree. Oh, great point. Great point. Oh my God. You know, in all of, all of this time on stage and all of these different clubs around the world and all of these different scenarios, those characters just kind of repeat. And learning how to handle those people, um, you know, if you're a good comedian or a good presenter and you really do know what you're talking about and you've prepared, um, it's over time, it's easy to make those people look foolish. You know, for me, I want to make them look silly and I want to keep the show moving forward. So I have I, thoughts and ideas that I want to get to that night. And if somebody is, is trying to disrupt the show, I've, I've stopped the show and just said, OK, what do you want to talk about? Everybody's here to see me, but all right, you you go ahead. Let, let's hear everything you have to say right now. And it ends up, I always want to make it funny. And I think, I think a good comedian or a good performer is, should be like a good pilot. The pilot doesn't ask you where you want to go or, or at what altitude you want to fly or how fast you want to go. The pilot comes on and tells you, we're going to fly at 37,000 feet. We're going to go 750 miles an hour and we're going to Cleveland. But then the, and you as somebody in the back goes, okay, this guy sounds like he knows where he's going. That touches on the leadership capabilities of the presenter, right? Um, I know the answer to this question. Can you think of a leader that you've worked for who had this kind of real leadership and presentation ability? So I worked for Ep Epcor, a power and water company, 
from 2003 to 2009. And so it was my day job when I first started comedy. So I started comedy in 2003. Uh, I started at Epcor in 2003. And they had just deregulated power and it was awesome. And it was a really enjoyable company to work for. And I worked in what was known as the billing exceptions department. When I worked for this company for six years, our CEO would get on, you know, three or four times a year. And he was the most gifted public speakers I have ever watched in my entire life. You know, 40 plus years, I have never seen anybody who was more smooth. I have never seen anybody who was more prepared. I, I, I've never seen anybody who looked more comfortable. And I have so many great moments of watching him. And one of my favorite, I have two or three favorite we moments. Sh- we should say his name. Don Lowry. Oh my God. Absolutely. Are you? And <laughs> you know, when I'm so fond of him, I was so fond of, of uh, the stewardship. I was so fond of our, our, um, you know, responsibility. It, 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 I loved it. I love the company. And I, I, I have such affection for the company because I was in it and I saw how we, how we responded to everything. And so Don Lowry would get on stage and he would present the quarterly report or, you know, and he would tell us what, where we were going and we're, we got some new power plants. We're going to do this. And he was always so smooth. He, one time he, somebody had asked a question and the question was this, um, would we be able to work an extra half hour a day, every day, Monday to Thursday, and then take every second half Friday off? That was the question. And, and he said, well, the person who would answer that question was this person. Um, but don't, you can't email him. He's not here today. And it was a Friday. So I put up my hand and he said, yes. And I said, just to be clear, the, the person who would decide whether or not we could take a half a Friday off is off this Friday. <laughs> it gets a monster laugh. No kidding. There's six, five or 600 people and it gets a huge laugh. And he's standing on stage, smooth, great hair. He's standing on stage, fantastic suit. He's standing on stage and the, the laughs are massive and they finish laughing. So people finish laughing. And he goes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> timing, timing. Yeah, it was so perfectly timed. He knew he was waiting and he got the last laugh. And so, I mean, that wasn't necessarily a heckle. I just looked around and I thought, wait a minute, the guy who would decide if we could get a half a Friday off, took a Friday off. And, and I made the point to get a laugh and he just, he sat on it. He didn't step on the lap and he nailed that punchline. <laughs> well, there's always some drunk guy in the audience who thinks he's smarter than the one on stage, right? I think somebody, somebody said that. Okay, let's dissect one small bit from one of your performances. This is a bit that you did on the Comedy Network. Mm-hmm. I did a show for a stagette recently. It was a bachelorette party and the bride was right in the front row and I asked the bride to be how the guy proposed, she said, in a mall parking lot. I said, wow, I can just imagine how that went. Oh, my God, it says positive. (laughs) She was mad at me for the whole show. (laughs) But she was in her second trimester. So so that bit and and the visual of it is uh, I'm pretending to waive a pregnancy test. So she, you know, she gets proposed to in a parking lot and then there's a pregnancy test. And go, oh, my goodness, it says positive. Um, so good, um, a lot of times good sketch comedy comes out of good improv. So some, some good improvisers will be on stage and something will happen that'll be incredibly funny. And then they'll write a sketch around that idea. And I find that a lot of times stand up comedy is the same way. If you get on stage again and again and again and again and again and again, 
something funny will happen. And then you can recount that story later on and perhaps embellish it a bit and, and make it a little bit silly. So th it happened exactly that way where this, this bachelorette party was in the crowd. And I said, how did he propose? And she said, I'm all parking lot. And I always want to see if I can make it funny. You know, I always want to see. And so I pantomime shaking a pregnancy test. Oh my goodness. It says positive. And then that joke finishes and you're wondering if you can then get another laugh out of it. And so then the idea of here's the first laugh. The next laugh is she was in her second trimester, um, you know, or third trimester or whatever is the funniest of, of the trimesters. And so, so that was based on a true story that was embellished a little bit later that was getting good enough laughs that when I recorded my comedy special for the comedy network, it was good enough to be on, on the hour of comedy that we had there. So, so, so what percentage of your success is the material as opposed to um, the style? Is it 80% material and content, 50%, less than 50%? That, you know, that's a great question. So uh, there was a, there was a very funny comedian named Erwin Barker and Erwin Barker is an incredible joke writer. If you just read Erwin Barker's jokes off a piece of paper, they read incredibly funny. And so I was really inspired early on to write, jokes that read funny. If I read the joke, would it read funny? You know, I have a, a new joke that, that I say, I, you know, I have an idea we can get rich. What we'll do is we'll build an elaborate corn maze sign and they'll say corn maze, $20. And then we'll set it up outside of random cornfields right. and we'll just charge people and tell them the, the corn maze is just about 50 yards back. You know, it's about, it's about 60, 30 yards, whatever. And then we'll just, pull up our corn maze sign and move to the next cornfield. And so that, that idea of I've written a joke that would read funny. If I read that on a piece of paper, it would read funny now to present it in a way that people want to hear it. We've all seen people present who are monotone. They don't have a lot of inflection. They don't, they don't make it sound like they're having a nice conversation with us. And so I would say as far as material, I hope 50% and then presentation 50%. You know, and, and one of my favorite quotes ever was Michelangelo. And it, it, it reads, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but um, it reads, if people knew how hard I worked to gain my mastery, it would not seem impressive at all. Um, if you'd like to send a message to my guest, Lars Calio, best way to do that is through Lars's website. It's extra Lars, L-A-R-S dot com with a backslash. And if you live in the Edmonton area, by the way, you can book Lars for a backyard set. Go to his Facebook page. The link is in the show notes to this episode. This is the fire, fire pit humor, fireside yeah. fire, humor. <laughs> fire pit comedy tour. Yeah. Nice. And you've done about a hundred some odd shows already. 160. So we did 160 starting on May 2nd when they opened up outdoor gatherings. I, I just wanted to perform. And so we ended up doing, you know, I thought we'd do 10 of them. And um, it kind of took off. And so we ended up doing 160 shows in people's um, backyards <laughs> over the course of a couple of five months, I guess. I love that idea. We got to get you down to Calgary at some time. Um, and if you live in the Edmonton and surrounding area, you can catch Lars live at the Comedy Strip in West Edmonton Mall, October 14th to 18th, 2020. And if you're listening to this episode after those dates, just keep checking because 
Lars lives locally in Edmonton and he's bound to be back there in, in pretty short order. If you liked what you heard today, we're hoping you choose to subscribe to Stories and Strategies and receive updated episodes automatically. We're also hoping you choose to follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. No hecklers, please. And would you do us a favor and recommend this podcast to one friend? If you have an idea for an episode or you just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.